At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The musicians and Detroit native Zoe and Tall Black Guy teamed up in 2021 for their indie full-length R&B album, Abstractions. Their sampling, layering, and beat-making skills create an updated riff on classic soul with a touch of hip-hop. Later this hour, producer Janine Etter talks with the duo ahead of their Saturday performance at City Winery. Plus, speaking of music, our series of local musicians features Americana artist Sid Jordan. First... A family struggling with schizophrenia, depression, and grief may not sound like material for a rock musical, but the Broadway hit Next to Normal broke the mold and earned 11 Tony Award nominations with a show that reviewers described as brave and breathtaking. Atlanta Lyric Theater produced the show last year with such success that audiences demanded an encore. Now, Next to Normal returns to the Jenny T. Anderson Theater in Marietta, February 16th through 26th. Joining me now via Zoom our director, Amanda Wansom-Morgan, with actor and lyric theater artistic director, Mary Nye Bennett. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Thank you so much. Back by popular demand is not overstatement or cliche in this case. (laughs) Please tell us about the decision to reprise Next to Normal. Well, I know when it was originally done in July, it was part of a two-night series for the Jenny T. Anderson concert series, and it sold out. And John O'Davis, the managing artistic director at the Jenny T., had such overwhelming feedback from his patron base, how surprised they were. They didn't know anything about it and how moved they were. And since it sold out, it just seemed like it really demanded a second shot, an- another turn to to reach more audiences. Mm-hmm. The family at the center of this story faces 
serious challenges. Would you tell us what they must navigate? Hmm, I can take that one. (laughs) Please. Yes. The beauty of this show is that this family has characters that are as layered as the people in our lives, and they have to navigate having a family member who deals with mental illness, which is different than uh, general discussions of mental health. We've talked about this in various forms in the preparation process, and those family members have to navigate how they handle their loved one who's dealing with mental illness, how they continue to love them, how they navigate their own reactions to their family member having a struggle and basically going through a bad mental health episode in the in the timeline of their life. And as I always say to my students, theater is not about the everyday experiences, but the day a UFO lands in your living room. And so we are meeting this family, right? We are meeting this family at a moment in their life at one of their crisis points and one of these episodes. So they're navigating that together. Mary, did you want to add anything? One of the things that it's really been resonating with me from the audience feedback from the first time we did it in July was how many different people could relate to the story. I did not expect so many people to reach out in a personally touched way by the story. And it really highlighted for me how much everyone is either touched personally or somebody close in their family or close friendships by somebody who's experiencing mental illness and and, and poor mental health. And it, it really made that resonate for me that I just, I'm of an age and maybe of a generation where it wasn't, mental health wasn't talked about growing up. And, and so even though I experienced some situations in my family and in my personal life with friends, I didn't think it was a common thing because nobody spoke about it. And so this experience and really getting that audience feedback has really, really highlighted for me how common this is and how many people are going through this, which means it's so much more important to talk about it. Oh, indeed. Now, Mary, you play the role of the mother and wife, Diane Goodman. Please tell us about Diane, as you experience her from the inside, and how she appears to her precariously coping family. Oh, that's a a heavy question. She really is just trying to get by. I do think she's trying to do her best, and I do think she's trying to participate as best she can in her family. You can, you can see her trying, and even in the opening number, it's, it's all about getting through today. It's just another day. We're going to survive this day. And some days that happens easily for her, and some days it barely happens at all. And, and that's really a roller coaster to live through. We did a run-through, our first run-through since coming back, and it, it is a roller coaster to walk through. And you kind of have to mentally prepare yourself and set yourself up for that level of vulnerability, I guess I'll say, just to to be open to it. You know, Amanda, she she's a wonderful director and she's not just gonna let us copy and paste. She's gonna continue to elevate our story and make us even better than the last time. And, you know, she was kind of coaching me through a scene because I am a Mary in real life, a 
extroverted, confident person and having her there to remind me, like, you have to be more fragile in this moment and more vulnerable because this isn't Mary. And, you know, you need somebody to remind you to like, open up this part of yourself for a minute because this, you know, this isn't a, a piece of you that you have open all the time. So it's a lot of fun as an actor, but it is exhausting. But I think the payoff is worth it for the audience. The dynamic between Diane and her husband, Dan, is fraught. How does Dan show up for Diane or fail to do so? And this can be for either or both of you. I have things to say about that. <laughs> Take it away, Amanda. As a married human, <laughs> I think that Dan, it's a interesting that you frame it that way of showing up for her because I think sometimes, again, we have a, I don't want to say a stigma, but a portrait of, oh, someone is sick, so everybody else has to take care of them. And the thing that I love about the way this musical is laid out is it demonstrates the layers of relationships, especially marital relationships, in which if someone is struggling with an illness, whether mental or physical, that does not solely define who they are. It also doesn't solely define the center of a relationship, right? And the complexity of a married relationship. In short, what are the ways in which Diana and Dan and Natalie show up or don't show up for each other. And Dan is a character in which I love that we get to hear his side of the story. He has some solo songs in which he unpacks how he's feeling as he navigates this. And he and Diana and Natalie get to unpack a lot of joyful moments and humor throughout the show. And so I think that Dan really struggles with the layer of, I wish my wife weren't this way, but also the layer of that's because I love her and I don't want to leave. And that is part of the big question mark of the show. Why, why stay? There's a whole song called why stay. Why stay? Why stay? So steadfast and stolid and stoic and solid for day after every day. Why stay? Why stay? Why not simply give in and get on with living? Cause everyone knows you're trying, but somehow something died on the way. Tell me why you say, why stay? And he is also unpacking his own feelings about some of the events that have happened to them as a family. He's unpacking the fear of what happens if he does make some sort of decision, big decision. And I think it really reflects, again, the decisions that we have to make on a daily basis as adults about our choices and and the and how those choices are often not as easy as they're painted in other forms of media. Sometimes the choice to stay or leave seems so easy from the outside, but when one is on the inside of it, it is far more complex. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with director Amanda Wansom Morgan and actor Mary Nye Bennett about Atlanta Lyric Theater's production of Next to Normal. I read a review that said poignantly that Next to Normal shows us the true price of love. 
Mm. Does the Goodman family offer us any wisdom on keeping love alive when it inevitably comes with side helpings of anger, confusion, and grief? Oh, yeah. My husband and I have a joke that the song, All You Need Is Love, when we play it, we pause it after they say love, and then we say, and food and money and water and shelter. (laughs) All you need is love and an agreement of how you're going to raise your children and religion and other things, right? And so the Goodman family, I think they absolutely demonstrate, again, that it isn't just about loving someone in theory, right? It isn't just about honoring vows or being there for someone just because you kind of have to for your parent or your child, but truly that love is not all, you know, hearts and puppies. And it's interesting that we are remounting the show in in the month of love of February, but it is about love is, I think falling in love is a thing that happens to you, but choosing to love is something, is an action that you continue to, to choose every day. But I'll toss it to Mary too. Oof. I also think this story does teach you that it's it's never too late to show your love. It's never too late to show up for someone. If if you really love someone, it it may feel like you're you're too disconnected and that you're too far away, but you can make the choice to come together again and you can make a choice to be there for each other no matter how broken it may feel. And I think that I don't this just really resonates with me. Mm. Mhm. And you play that well, especially <laughs> in, act, in act two. There's one scene that <laughs> originally was not one of my favorite songs and it has become the most impactful piece of the show for me that Mary gets to do and towards the end of act two. Which is that? Maybe. It, yeah, she's right. <laughs> it's a scene between between the mother and daughter. It just, it was kind of like a back burner piece of the puzzle for me. And then when when Mary and Golby Golbanu, who's the wonderful actress who plays her daughter Natalie, have a scene together, it breaks me every time they do it. Every single time. Maybe I've lost it at last. Maybe my last lucid moment has passed. I'm dancing with death, I suppose. But really, who knows? Could be I'm crazy to go They say you should stay with the devil you know Mm. It's hard to think of another stage musical that deals so unflinchingly with serious mental illness. Well, I think there's a lot of characters in musical theater that have mental illness, but yeah, it doesn't address it, right? Indeed. I mean, I, I, Light in the Piazza came to mind, but that's really more about limitation than, than mental illness. Fun fact, I'm directing that for the Jenny T. Anderson later this year. Are you really? <laughs> I am. Oh, okay. Well, this has been a lighthearted year for you, or will be a lighthearted year for you, Amanda. Think of the resume entries you can put on there. <laughs> right. Right, and rent at Kennesaw State. It's a really light year. (laughs) Who said musicals had to be fluff? (laughs) So, though Next to Normal tackles schizophrenia, suicide, and depression, it 
manages to infuse the scenes and songs with humor and sometimes joy. Mm -hmm. Would you talk about this carefully calibrated tone of the show and how it achieves that balance? Well, first of all, we cast our actors. It's the, it's in the writing, but it's also in performances. And I think casting actors who have those layers, like Mary was saying, like the ability to, to, to reveal their vulnerability, but then their ability to, all of our actors, this cast has incredible comic timing. And sometimes there's a laugh in vulnerability. I'm thinking about the lovely actor who plays Henry, Brian. He has some really sweet moments that are just that give, a, give us a giggle. But, you know, Mary, <laughs> Atlanta audiences know Mary for both her incredible power and vulnerability, but also her humor. And so mm -hmm. there have been many moments. There's one scene in particular that I'm thinking of where when we first staged it, I said, Mary, can you just kind of do this scene like yourself, please? Because <laughs> you're very funny. And also, yeah, there's some really great moments with the doctor, which we take an interesting spin with a female identifying actor in that role. And yeah, the, the musical does this thing where we have to break the pain with humor and also setting things up with humor. And in the front end, there's some really great dramatic plays out there. I'm thinking like of August Osage County and right that, that have humor in them. And then, and then it sets us up for some real breaks uh, when we reveal that vulnerability or, or those tough moments. But I'll let Mary speak to what she has to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I just think, I mean, in my own life personally, humor and pain always coexist. And I, maybe that's a coping mechanism. I don't know. But I think that they walk hand in hand frequently in life. You have to find the the daily ways to you know laugh or get yourself out of darkness and I think I don't think that's an accident or I don't think that was um, a ploy to trick the audience I think it just reflects life and that all of our darkest moments we laugh something makes us laugh I mean I've I've sat there at a funeral and laughed because a video was mm -hmm. funny and because I, I your soul needs it it's a I think it's just our body's coping you know, self-preservation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is not only a musical, it's a rock musical. And the score <laughs> incorporates electric guitars, synthesizers, and strings yeah. among its instrumentation. Who's yeah. involved in contributing the music? And how does it help to evoke these characters' whirlwinds of emotion? We have a fantastic music team. This was actually originally co-music directed by Hope McCarley and John Michael de Havilland, two uh, wonderful music directors in town who have worked on multiple musicals for the Jenny T. Anderson and the Lyric. And they work together to really bring these, bring the colors out of the, the music of this show. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda says that hip hop is the music of the revolution. Well, rock, rock is the music of vulnerability, anger, and raw emotion. Rock music essentially came out of a human need to get that emotion out and really express it, right? And so when we look at rock musicals like Hair and Rent, Spring Awakening, Next to Normal, they really are, when you look at the story on paper, it makes sense that rock helps bring all of that emotion that's under the surface. I call it a boiling pot of water with a lid on it out. 
And when you combine, especially rock music with strings, and we hear this a lot in the Weber rock operas, right? That, you know, really highlights vulnerability against, you know, people use the term tugging on someone's heartstrings and strings allow us to have dissonance. And we think about dissonance in relationships. It means when something, two things are too close, they clash and they have to, the only way to solve it is to resolve an issue in a relationship or resolve two clashing notes in music. So there's a lot there to unpack about strings versus rock music. And Holt and John Michael have this amazing orchestra, live, live band, live orchestra of musicians that bring it to life. They told me that the wiring was somehow all misfiring and screwing up the signals in my brain. And then they told me chemistry, the juice and not the circuitry was mixing up and making me insane. What happens when the bird has healed but the skin has not The music was my first buy-in to the show. I mean, when I, I didn't know anything about the show when I saw it on Broadway, probably 2010. And the music immediately hooked me. It is an unbelievable score. I mean, it did, it won the Tony for score and orchestration. It is an unbelievable score. And that's what immediately hooked me. And then you get into the story and it's just that extra layer of, oh, I can't imagine this story being told any other way now, Yeah. except for this music. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the song, Maybe. Are there other standout songs <laughs> Are a couple, <laughs> obviously it won the Tony for best yeah. score. Are, are there two that really represent the heart and soul for either of you to beyond maybe? Hmm. I think depending on where she is in her journey for Diana, the song, I Miss the Mountains mm -hmm. is pretty pivotal. It's a big decision song for her in her mental health journey and deals a lot with uh, medication and uh, that's a huge song it's also a beautiful song is a song in act two uh, that she sings with Dan and I really I don't want to give too much away but it's a song about remembering and gosh I like I said I don't want to give there's so many plot twists in this that you don't want to spoil <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe the one we mentioned earlier maybe and I miss the mountains for Diana and I think Amanda what is Natalie's song that she sings in act one her first song Everything else. Natalie sings a song called Everything Else, about it, which is from the point of view of the daughter of trying to cope with what's going on in her life. And 
does a really lovely job of how a teenager would deal with all of this. And I would also say, just orally speaking, catch me, I'm falling, make up your mind. That That's a sequence that involves everyone. And it is really delicious to the ear, but also allows kind of everyone's perspective to meld and really gives us the, the quintessential moment in musical theater where everyone is at such a heightened emotional state that we all have to sing about it. And it's very electric, which is interesting enough. The original title of this show, when it was workshopped at the BMI workshop, was called Feeling Electric. Oh. Yeah. How does this production immerse the audience in the experience of Diana's hallucinations? Mm, We have a wonderful production team, Wolfman Productions, and Michael Carver is in the lighting designer seat. Bobby Johnston is in the sound designer slash projections designer seat. We work together to create some, for lack of better terms, psychedelic moments in which we take Diana into her psyche with some production elements that really help out. And there's some staging choices that help with that. I have a wonderful assistant director slash choreographer, Joseph Pendergrast. They are one of our alums from KSU, and they've helped with some staging moments that create that world for Diana. But sometimes it's not so clear on purpose because, again, how often do we really know what we're seeing is real or hearing is real or not? I'll let Mary speak to her experience inside of it, but we have tried to create some sequences that help tell the story to the audience uh, of who's kind of the narrator at that moment. Well, it's interesting you say that, Amanda, and I don't know how much a regular theater patron might know this, but as an actor on stage, we can't see any of that. So the psychedelic lights you're talking about, I don't... (laughs) I don't know exist because from our point of view with all the lights on us, it literally just all looks the same. So all the magic, artistic, beautiful magic with lights and projections, the audience gets to see, like we actually don't really even see happening on stage except for the, you know, the disco ball. We see that moment, but I do think the stage. You gave away the disco ball, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) There's a disco ball. That's just a little spoiler to help them uh, get excited about that moment of the show. But I think there are some pretty, I mean, you see the way it's staged, some of her hallucinations you see right there along with her. So you're on that journey right along with her. Which I think is important. I'll just say really quickly, as someone who has people in her life who deal with legit mental illness that you know involves medication and stuff, those things are very, very real. And so I think it's important in the storytelling for the audience to see it as realistically as the protagonist would in certain moments. This has been such an interesting and meaningful conversation with both of you. Thank you so very much for talking in depth about Next to Normal and I I think the show sounds like it will be very successful. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having us. It's a privilege to work on it. Thank you so much. Director Amanda Wansom Morgan and actor Mary Nye Bennett 
Atlanta Lyric Theater's production of Next to Normal is on stage through February 26th at the Jenny T. Anderson Theater in Marietta. More information about this show is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll hear from R&B artists and music producers Zoe and Tall Black Guy. They're performing at City Winery this Saturday. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Musicians and Detroit native Zoe and Tall Black Guy teamed up in 2021 for their indie full-length R&B album, Abstractions. Their sampling, layering, and beat-making skills create an updated riff on classic soul with a touch of hip-hop. City Lights producer Janine Etter spoke with the duo ahead of their show at City Winery on Saturday. Zoe, you are a multi-instrumentalist, playing everything from keyboards to bass and drums and guitar, as well as being a gifted writer, arranger, and producer. Uh, How did you come about all those skills? I started on piano early. That was my first instrument. And when I was a kid, like I started maybe like five or six and I hated it. Like, you know, when you, you a kid and you got, you just a ball of energy. And, you know, last thing you want to do is sit down at the piano. Like my, my love was, was always sports. And eventually I played uh, baseball and, you know, but back then, you know, you, you in the neighborhood. So it was like you outside and you playing tag. It was back in the days of like, you come home from school, you put on your play clothes and you go back outside, you know what I mean? So me sitting down at the piano and learning scales and arpeggios and Bach and Beethoven, and, you know, that wasn't really up my alley uh, at the time. Eventually what ended up happening was I, I started learning how to play by ear, and that's when it kind of caught on. Where, I, you know, I was starting to play music that I that I liked and that I loved and that I heard on the radio. And, you know, here's Jodeci and here's Mary J. Blige and here's, you know, whatever, whatever was popular and playing it for my friends and, and, 
you know, that's when it that's when it kind of caught on to me. Like that's when I kind of got the got the bug for it. And you know, after I graduated college and baseball was finished, that's when I started picking up bass and uh, drums and you know my father's guitar and that type of thing. Just because you know I had all these musical ideas, but I was like, I don't have any money to pay out you know pay out all these musicians. So let me just try to learn it myself and see if I can if I can record something that sounds that sounds good. And you know, it it ended up sounding sounding all right. And you know, just kept kept building and and now. The only instrument I have not played a show on is guitar. Like that's my weakest one. But I I played on keys, played on bass, played a dr- uh, gig on drums before. So it's um you know we still learning, still learning as, as musicians, just so we don't don't plateau. And tall black, can I call you TBG? Can I call you? Yeah, you call me. You call me. You can call me Terrell or Rail. It's it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about your your journey in terms of uh, how you acquired your skills as a producer. So mine was I didn't really start with instruments per se, but like seeing like Biz Marquis, he was like doing beatboxing. You know, I was really fascinated with that at the time when I was a kid in the 80s. I had a female cousin and she she used to um, beatbox, you know, just all around the house and stuff that like that. And so that was like my introduction to like just making like little sounds with my, you know, with my mouth and like just, you know, I'm cleaning. I'm doing, I got a five minute cleanup song, you know, so I started beatboxing that or whatever. And then, you know, just kind of just watching. I mean, because I'm I'm 10 years younger than my cousin, but they were like in the prime time and like, you know, the golden era was. So I'm just a little kid kind of just soaking this stuff up. And, you know, it went from like, listen to trial car quest, they allow all that type of stuff. And then, so you fast forward around like in like high school, I started doing like little paw state things and still beatboxing now. I'm still like making sounds with my mouth and whatnot. And then like right before I was about to graduate, this is around like 16, 17, you know, I don't know. I had some friends that kind of were making music in high school, whatever. And I kind of went over there and I was like, man, this is cool, you know, but, um, you know, my parents didn't really have any money to, buy me any type of beat machines or anything like that. So like um, at the time, I mean, this is like 99, 2000 or whatever, but the, the program that this cat had had at the time was a, it was a program called Sonic Foundry Acid 2.0. I was like at the end of when like cats had to use beat machines or whatever. And so I used that technology as my introduction to production. And I like, I was the same like Zoe, like I played sports and stuff like that, but you know, I didn't really dedicate the time. So you know, music kind of came along and then from there it just became like this just this obsession. You know, I'm talking like sickly hours, like 18, 19 hours just sitting in front of this screen trying to learn this program and, you know, records. And my dad blessed me with my first set of records. And then I'm learning about, you know, who plays what. And I, at the time I wasn't even playing any instruments. I was just kind of just, you know, I would like use a mouse to like draw my drums and like, they would have notes and you could draw the notes and then plus and minus and two. And I didn't know any theory. I didn't actually pick up keyboard until I was like 27. And then that was when I really started to dive. I was self-taught. So like I would go to the library and go get theory books and all that stuff. And I'll just practice, 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 practice. After all this practice, I'm, you know, I could definitely see, you know, the improvements that's happened, you know, and then, you know, when me and Zoe got together, that's when it was really like, okay, this cat is, he's, he's at this level. I got to bring it up even more. You know what I mean? So it was just, it was just, just, it was more or less just building. 
You know what I mean? I didn't have any lessons or anything, but I knew I wanted to get better. You know, I would study all these jazz records and soul records and kind of try to play along and play by ear as well. You know, that's that's kind of my journey, though. And so you both now have joined forces uh, like superheroes and, and brought us the album, Abstractions. The album features Omar and Fonte and Cy Smith and many others. Can you tell us a story about the collaboration, how this album happened? We had gotten together to work because I, you know, I was I was going through some, I was going through some tough, a tough personal time, and um, this was during the time I was working on the album Forefront, and you know, a lot of stuff that I was sending to to Fonte, like it, you know, it was cool, but it was like I always feel like with my albums, with each solo album, I want to expand or you know get better or you know bring something new or update the sound or something like that, and it it seemed like it was kind of uh pretty stagnant. And so uh, me and Fonte got on the phone and uh, he suggested that, that I collaborate with somebody. And I'm like, cool. So we kind of talking about who, who to, who to work with. And um, at the time Terrell lived in Maryland, like he's like 20 minutes away. And so he was like, yo, what about the tall black guy? I was like, you know, we, we never worked before. So I was like, let me get my holler and uh, called him up. And, um, I think we I think we was in the studio like two days later. And um, you know, it was it was pretty much confirmed off of the first piece of music that we did. We was like, yo, this is this is so crazy. Like this song is so crazy right now. And and um, you know, we were kind of looking at each other like, dude, why we didn't do this years ago? Like we should have done this in 2013. Like we missed out. But you know, you it happens the way it's supposed to happen and Pretty much from there, like we, you know, at that point we were just doing tracks for Forefront. So we ended up doing two songs on Forefront. One was for Moms, and one was uh, Step Up Front with Deborah Bond. Well, actually, both were with uh, Deborah. And, yeah, both were. Yeah. You know, after that, we was like, "Yo, we're not gonna stop working. Like, we we got something." So we we started we started getting together. Like he would come he would come to the studio pretty much every other week until the pandemic hit. Like it was. Let me see. We started working in May of 19. Yeah, May of 19. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were just knocking out songs, knocking out tracks, knocking out music. And, uh, you know, we were pretty much done. And I mean, we worked literally up to, I think, maybe about a week after they started shutting everything down. Like, yeah. 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 We, we was kind of was kind of risky in here right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cause I mean, you know, I, I don't think we was really supposed to be out like that, but you know, we we ended up finishing up and and um, yeah, it was it was a it was a nice process and it 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 really opened my eyes. I think Terrell's too on just the uh, the beauty of collaboration and you know being able to bounce ideas off of somebody who you trust as a creator and um, that really lightens the load on you. Uh, on on your stress levels on you know if you have anxiety like all of that stuff like it really lightens the load a little bit because it's like yo we you know we can work on this together and if i'm not if i'm off one day you know he you know he can pick me up and vice versa yeah uh to kind of piggyback off his own like being in the same room with the person that you're collaborating with and you're able to kind of get your hands dirty together and then on top of that, you have conversations, you're talking about something, and the next thing you know, 
the thing, the just the spirit moves in the room, and you get out the way, you know. And that is a very, it's a very powerful thing, you know. And that's a process that, you know, even if we're not necessarily collaborating, I that's that's something that I I I, I will continue to to use and to just be free in that way and not putting any pressure on anybody because again sometimes you can't make this with everybody you can't create with everybody but if you just leave room for the for the music and the spirit to come through that's when the, that's when the magic happens So you both are performing at City Winery in Atlanta. Uh, will you be performing music from both of your solo projects or only your joint collaboration? It'll be it'll be a mixture of both. It's the Abstractions tour, so I mean, we're it's going to be mainly stuff from Abstractions, but you know, we're going to pull pull stuff pull stuff out that fits, and and I think more important, most importantly, is uh, you know, just having just having fun. We want to make it super fun and and you know, provide that incentive for folks to come out and, and, and rock with us. And what artists do you have coming with you? Deborah Bond. Yep. yep. Beautiful. She tours with Dude. us. He's a worker. He is a worker. He's yes. always doing something. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. And we've been listening to producer Janine Etter's conversation with music producer Zoe and Tall Black Guy. So segueing, it's 2023. This is being recognized as hip-hop's 50th anniversary. What are your thoughts about hip-hop's journey up to this point and its future? And that's a question for both of you. I, just, I was just talking about this earlier again. You know what? We, as Black folks and people of color and the way how hip hop even started. We put it down. We put it down. We spread this thing out of lack. And we created an art form that literally changed this world and turned it upside down. You know what I mean? Like to understand that like these amazing innovators because they're all innovators this was all this is all they were they were trying new things you know what i mean that you 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 get these machines and you don't read the directions i still don't read all the directions on these machines nah, no <laughs> that's almost that's, that's almost against the rule like, don't do that. no i'm not i'm not gonna do it. i want to figure it out I want, that's the that's the that's the that's the curiosity so I was just, I was just talking to um another one good brother that I met at the playlist and he has became a mentor to me is um Lord Finesse. So as of recently, he's kind of he's been he's been going back and like kind of playing, he's kind of been going back and opening up his his machine of choice at the time when he was really in his prime time of his career with the as an artist. And he's showing you some of these these songs and things that he was doing. This cat was thinking. At 23, 24 years old, using this machine, I only had four seconds of sampling time and made some of the most amazing music ever. And it, was, it wasn't just him. It was Pete Rock. It was Premier. It was Dilla. It was, it was all these people. And the fact that these cats 
were just doing that. They were expressing themselves. And limitations is what made that. Uh, and, and, and then you fast forward to now, like we got so much stuff. How could you make something bad if you got all the things? It's in pot. That doesn't make sense. And then they 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 still they don't understand that these records, these pieces of vinyl, there's life in them records. Do understand that like that's the blueprint. Cause you go listen to something that's from 1960 or 70, homie. Understand those people who created it, they live life. They had the same struggles and things we did. We catching up to what happened to them. You gotta learn your history. You gotta learn it. And I got one other thing too that this makes it even more beautiful. These are all brothers and sisters. These are black folk came together and made this genre of music and put it on the map, encouraging. Obviously, when the bread came into play, it turned into a whole nother thing. But oh, at its it, core, it went. It went. You know, and that's a whole. That's a whole another story for a whole another time. But I'm just saying, though, like I'm. That makes me proud of the fact that these pioneers of this art form, man, they their skin tone is mine. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you're going to find that with all the genres, too. So, yes, know. exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you see, but, but yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, but this is, these, this is ours. Like, this is, this is our, ours. Like, our, our, our age. Like, this is ours. It's ours. Yeah. I was just, I was even thinking, too. Do understand, my friend, and I'm talking to you, brother Zoe. Do understand that all this music that we about to make is about to be the next wave. It's about to be the next wave of the thing. It's going to affect my kids, they kids. Like literally, the the next the next wave of music is. Can I see it? Turner is coming. It's turning. It's making a shift. You can see it. And that's that's what's fun about it because it's like it's whatever we want to do. We just in a, we just in an open space. It's whatever we want to do, and that's how that's how they was. It was like you know, it's open. It's an open space. Well, Zoe and Tall Black Guy, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, thank you for hitting thank us you. up. Thank you so much for having us on the show. R and B artists and music producers Zoe and Tall Black Guy, speaking with City Lights producer Janine Etter. The duo will perform at City Winery this Saturday at 8 p.m. More information is available on our website, wabe.org. Coming up, we spotlight Americana artist Sid Jordan in our Speaking of Music series, Amplifying Atlanta. This is WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for joining me. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is Sid Jordan, and I make alternative country music or Americana. I would describe my music as being a kind of wanderlust sound 
songs of heartbreak and heartache, trucker country, tear my beer tunes, and songs of the hippie cowboy. I play pedal steel guitar, steel string guitar, drums, bass, and piano. I started playing guitar when I was around 11 years old, and I started writing songs shortly thereafter, mostly songs inspired by sonic youth and noise music. I played in bands throughout my teenage years and all through my 20s here in Atlanta. And now on into my 30s, I got into pedal steel around 2020. I bought one and started learning it. And that kind of geared me towards doing country music and Americana music, which has become a kind of obsession for me now. I love Atlanta and I choose to call Atlanta my home because of the great and diverse community that resides here. There are so many creative people and so many resources and so many people looking for great music. I wouldn't live anywhere else. Every time I leave, I just come right back. I get my inspiration from the artists that I admire, for the most part from the 60s and 70s. Uh, artists such as George Jones, Johnny Paycheck, Kenny Knight, Porn Wagner, Waylon Jennings. Uh, the instrumentation is really great, you know, fiddle, pedal steel, upright bass, as well as just great storytelling all the way around. My favorite venues in the city would definitely have to be The Earl and 529 in East Atlanta Village. Star Bar is another great place to see music. My next single is set to be released February 27th. I'll be releasing Everyone Was Laughing. There'll be a couple more single releases until the actual album drop on July 8th this summer. You can follow me and stay up to date on what's happening at my Instagram at Sid underscore Jordan with two R's. We have a good time on there and I update it daily with videos and pictures. Americana artist Sincher Dan. You can find more information about the musician on our website, wabe.org/speakingof. 
the largest modern quilting conference is coming to Atlanta next week. QuiltCon features a juried quilt show, special quilt exhibitions, vendors, and workshops. The featured lecturer for this year's event is Sean Kimber, an African-American mathematician and quilter known for expressing her political activism through her quilts. You can see samples of those works at the conference. Professional quilter Maria Schell also has quilts on view at the exhibition. I have four quilts that are in the main exhibition, which is a juried and judge show. Um, two of them feature bubble or circle and curve techniques that I've been working on that hopefully will be part of a book. And the other two are more classic linear designs that I often do. My quilts are in the pieced category, which means that they the fabric is cut and then pieced and then cut and then pieced, as opposed to a surface design such as applique. So you can see them in the pieced and the improv categories. Simultaneously, she has an exhibition on view at the Southeast Fiber Arts Alliance Center in Chambly. From the beginning until now, two decades of quilts reflects Shell's journey from a traditional to improvisational quilt maker. QuiltCon takes place at the Atlanta Convention Center at America's Mart, February 23rd through the 26th. More information is on their website, quiltcon.com. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., I'll talk with the award-winning playwright Katori Hall about The Hot Wing King, her play on stage at the Alliance Theater. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E.